Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. Hello and welcome to the Ages Podcast. My name is David Harry Stewart and welcome to the show. We're recording today, Sunday, March 8th. It's about 1230 in the afternoon. It's been quite a week here. Uh, you know, as you may have noticed, we're moving YBL till October this year for a lot of reasons, um, the virus most prominently. Uh, and then last week we released Chip's podcast, which was turns out to be our most listened to ever. Thank you so much, Chip. He's um, a great guest, really um, knows how to uh, play verbal tennis. Um, great, very enjoyable um, speaking with Chip. And then, uh, you know, there's been a lot of conversation around uh, coronavirus and really what can we do and how bad is it? We've been getting a lot of questions from people um, in our community about that and, you know, just out there sort of surveying what, how people are reacting. And, you know, we've noticed that restaurants are a little less crowded than they used to be. Coffee shops, a few less people in them, um, less people in the gym. So I, I thought what we do today is really address the coronavirus, um, COVID-19. And, you know, the thing that has really gotten my attention on this, and I, before we get too far into this, I want to just initially say I'm not a doctor. I'm not an epidemiologist. I'm not a statistician. I'm not a scientist. Um, we know people that are. I'm not one of them, but I listen to them, and we'll be having more of them on the show as we go forward. So what I'm going to tell you about today are the things that I've read, the things that I've observed, and the things that I'm doing to um, really cope with what we're, what we're in right now. The, um, so the thing that really got my attention this week is a study came out of China, which uh, are the, the mortality of COVID-19 by age group. And yeah, this got my attention. So basically, if you're between 40 and 49 you have roughly double the mortality rate of someone who's between 30 and 39. And if you go to 50 to 59, it triples. And then if you go to 60 to 69, it triples again. And then it stays about the same for 70 to 79. And then over 80, it, it falls. But um, I think that's probably because there are a lot less people in the over to 80 age group. Um, what do we know from this data? Well, it's it's a little sketchy. It can't. It, it's not that precise because we don't know how many people are in each one of those age groups. We don't know how many of them were infected, or for how long. But in general, we can see here that as one gets older, there's a higher mortality rate, and that causes real questions for us here at Ageist, because we you know we talk about a group of people living in this new vital, vivid, forward-leaning way. We're engaged, like I'm, I'm 61, I think I'm, I'm pretty strong, I'm pretty healthy, I'm a spunky guy. The reality is I have the immune system of a 61-year-old. That's just the way it is. So how does that make sense in, the, you know, in a time of coronavirus and in the time of aging well and living your best life? It becomes a really interesting question. And this week, we're publishing a fantastic article by Dr. Ronnie Stangler, who is a scientist and is a doctor, and she has a lot of thoughts about that. So I encourage you to read that on the site. So I, I think one of the first things here is to get a handle on really 
how dangerous this is. Should we be alarmed or should we not? And in a lot of what we hear out in the media, uh, we hear that, well, it's people with pre-existing conditions, they're old, they're elderly, and, and, and that lot. So again, that brings up the idea of what exactly is elderly, what is old. And this idea of pre-existing conditions, you know, we, we had a look at the, the data again, and 50% of the mortalities have no pre-existing conditions. That's the, that's the largest group of people um, who've succumbed to the virus, have no pre-existing conditions. So I'm, I'm not quite sure what to make of that, other than um, it's, it's clearly not a good idea to have a pre-existing condition, but it doesn't insulate you from the disease. So then, you know, there's been talk about, well, a lot of people die from the flu every year. And that's true. Uh, something like 35,000 people every year die from the flu. So that's, that's a, a, you know, a lot of people. However, I think we need to put this into context. Uh, you know, for the flu, there is a vaccine. Um, it's not 100% effective, but it's, it's very helpful. There are, you know, known treatments. There's none of that for this. Um, yet. And the development process for a vaccine is, you know, depending on who you listen to, you know, on the, really banging out 14 months to 24 months. So this thing is probably going to be around for a while uh, if there's a vaccine or not. So then I found another interesting statistic, and this is from the American Hospital Association, and they were trying to make some sort of prediction about how this was going to go because, you know, the way hospitals work is they um, you know, they work sort of at capacity all the time. And especially this time of year, there are a lot of existing flu cases in there. And so there was a, a presentation saying like, well, what, what should we be preparing for? Well, their best guess epidemiology is 96 million cases in the U.S., 4.8 million hospitalizations, and 480,000 deaths. So that's roughly 10 times. Um, what the existing flu is, and to understand both of these things will be happening simultaneously. Now, I've, I've also heard from people of different, radically different political persuasions, um, both sides of the aisle, that feel that this is some kind of a hoax. Um, there's, on the one hand, people are saying, well, this is a, a hoax to damage the president. Okay. Uh, and then I've heard on the other side that this is some kind of a hoax to enrich the World Health Organization, that they've staged this whole thing to get more funding. And Okay, these are interesting theories. I do not subscribe to them. Uh, if this is indeed a hoax, um, it's interesting that China has something like 1.8 billion people under some form of monitoring their movement so as not to cause further contagion. They have in the tens of millions of people essentially in quarantine. This morning I read that Italy essentially quarantined, again, tens of millions of people in the northern part of the country, which will have the effect of crippling their economy. Um, I don't really think that countries like this would behave in this way if they thought that this was a hoax. Uh, they seem to be taking this really quite seriously. Um, so I, 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 I'm taking it seriously. There are... On top of this, the U.S., I, in my belief, again, just my opinion, uh, that we have this unique set of problems about this that are really handicapping 
um, how we're going to deal with this, this virus. And I really, really would like to have happen in three weeks to look back on this podcast and just feel so foolish that we did this podcast and this was all for nothing. This just evaporates. It just goes away. There's a solution. It's not a problem. I would love for that to happen. Like Y2K, right? Remember Y2K? It was like a whole lot of nothing. And it's true in human history that it seems like the events that we are particularly frightened about and we prepare for just seem to not happen. And I really hope that um, I get a lot of email in like three weeks and, and just say like, well, don't you feel foolish for all this? And, I, and my intention here is not to scare people. Um, I think there's, a lot of, there's enough fear out in the world. What I'm trying to do here is to present a balanced case because I feel that our community is really at particular risk here. And I have a certain leadership role within this community, and I feel this is part of my responsibility. So back to the U.S. So we have this sort of unique set of problems. There's, you know, um, a certain amount of people don't have any health care. Um, I don't know how many people that is. It's, you know, 10 to 15 million people have no health care at all. So they're going to be somewhat reticent about getting treatment or getting tested. And then there's tens of millions of people who are really what you would call underinsured. And I'm, you know, I'm probably one of those people. We have a we have a co-payment deductible system that between me and my wife, it's, I don't know, it's almost $10,000. So it's, you know, I really, I'm, we're cautious about when we go to the doctor. That's probably not a great way to be right now. And then, you know, there's this idea that um, in a lot of states in the U.S., um, paid sick leave is not mandatory. So if you don't go to work, you don't get paid. Uh, so you're going to have a lot more desire to go to work, and maybe you're not feeling your best. And if you're not feeling your best these days, maybe it's not a great idea to go to work. And that, you know, what about all the gig workers out there, the Uber drivers, the people who do a lot of other this gig work? They don't get compensated unless they work. And then, you know, we add on top of that what is, you know, mixed messages from the leadership is the best that I can put that. And I, I find this to be uh, really disconcerting. Um, if we look back at the Spanish flu. So the Spanish flu was about 1918, and it killed roughly 10 times the amount of people that we lost in World War I, just in U.S. alone. Uh, and one of the big reasons for that was that during the flu, the government really wanted to downplay the effects of the flu, the, how contagious it was, how deadly it was. Even in the face, their, their people at their, their health advisors were saying like, hey, this is a real problem. You can't get people together in large groups. And the government was saying, well, no, 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 we, we really don't want to affect the war morale. And there was a particularly horrific event in Philadelphia where there was a large parade, 200,000 people came, and the mayor knew that this was a problem. And 72 hours later, the you know, hospitals are just jammed with people with Spanish flu. So that's a problem. Um, I think that there's also this idea of this American exceptionalism. Um, and, you know, we're an amazing country. We are exceptional in a lot of ways. Viruses don't really get exceptionalism. They just go wherever they go. And I've heard so many people tell me, they say, well, you know, it's America. It's not here. It's in China. It's in Italy. It's in these other places. Or 
you know, especially here, I'm, I'm in Los Angeles, which is like its own bubble of reality. And people, they're thinking, well, it, it can't come here. Uh, and I think that this, all these things together are going to be difficulties for us as we go forward with the virus. And, you know, on the, on the plus side, uh, we have the best science, we have the best scientists, we have the best drug companies, we have the best research people. So that all works in our favor. So people ask me, what am I doing? Like, what am I personally doing about this? And, well, I've adjusted my behavior. I feel that there's really two sides to the equation. Uh, the first is to, as best as possible, avoid contagion. So how do I avoid contagion? Well, I, I listen to what they tell me, which is I wash my hands a lot. Like every hour, I wash my hands. Uh, when I leave the house, I have a little bottle of hand sanitizer that I bring with me. Um, and I just, you know, whenever I, I just touch stuff, I, I clean my hands. The, the other thing is, you know, they tell us, don't touch your face. So uh, this, is, <laughs> this is really interesting. So I've, I've meditated pretty regularly for six or seven years now. And so much about, regulation, uh, about meditation is regulating the urge for um, impulse, essentially impulse control. So to sit there, don't move, you know, your thoughts get a little nutty, bring them back into line. That's not entirely different than sitting somewhere and feeling the urge to scratch your face. Do you really need to scratch your face? No, you don't. And in fact, if you just wait a second, it'll, the urge will go away. And I spent, I was in a meeting on Friday, and I sat with my hands clasped in my lap, and I didn't move them for an hour. I didn't touch my face. And many, many times I wanted to touch my face. I don't have any hair, right? So I'm a bald guy. I love rubbing the top of my head. It just feels so great. But I don't do that. I just sit there, right? I got my hands clasped. So, and I, you know, I'm making an effort to avoid large groups of people. And, you know, so that impacts, I, I belong to the new Soho house here, which I, I really like, but I haven't been upstairs into the restaurant there um, in a week. And I, and I won't because I, they, have let, they have yet to let me know that they're on top of this, that they understand how to disinfect things, how to keep it clean, how to make sure their employees are not spreading any kind of uh, the virus. I'm not seeing bottles of hand sanitizer out. Um, and maybe I'll go back up there when they do that. I don't know. Um, I'm, you know, the gym, um, no group exercise classes. Sorry. Um, I go, I'm still going to the gym and I try to go when there are less people. And the gym is actually really good. They've got, you know, a lot of hand sanitizer stuff around and, and I wipe that stuff all over everything. I don't use the locker room. Will I keep going to the gym? Oh, I love the gym, but I, we're going to have to see about that. I've got a, there's a little gym in the building that I live in and I may revert to that. Um, you know, travel, I'm, I think that's going to be sort of a game day call. Um, I've got a, because of what we do here, I travel a lot. How I'm going to, how I'm going to deal with that. I'm not entirely sure. Uh, but I'm, you know, I'm thinking about it. And, and for myself, in addition to being 61, I have this, I, I do have an underlying autoimmune issue. It's, it's a blood problem. So it's different than this particular virus seems to be an upper respiratory issue. But I, you know, 
I need to be careful. So the, so the first part of the program is avoid contagion. Don't get it. Or, you know, if there seems to be some evidence that the dosage of the virus that you get will determine, you know, can your body fight it off or not? I don't, I'm really antidotal on that. I don't know if that's actually true, but that seems to make some sense to me. So on the other end of the equation is my own resistance to the virus. So that's my immune system. So, you know, what, what am I doing to improve my immune system? Well, the main thing is, uh, for me, less stress. And i am sort of been this uh, rebel in regards to stress in that I believe in a certain amount of, I think chronic stress is very bad. I think uh, properly applied tactical stress is not such a bad thing, um, like intermittent stress. That's how you build your body from lifting weights or running or really all manner of, you know, that's how education works. Um, I, I try to, I pull out that, uh, that incremental stress thing into a lot of different areas. But I'm going to turn that down. And for me personally, what that means is I, I like to live big, big heavy weight. Um, I know it's kind of silly, but uh, it's a lot of fun. But I have to reduce the volume on that. Um, as the volume goes up, the stress goes up, my recovery time is longer, and now is not the time to do that. So I'm going to force myself to do less volume, which means um, less times per week, less reps per session, um, less exercises per session. And then really all this, you know, the kind of big rock stuff we know about, you know, boosting your immune system, which is um, get more sleep. You know, drink more water and really be, for me, really being careful with that. If I'm tired, just stop, rest. You know, whatever it is, can wait till tomorrow, can work later in the day. If I feel like I need a 10-minute nap, I'm going to take a 10-minute nap. That's just the way it is. But there's really a lot about the immune system that I don't know that much about. I'm not an expert on the immune system. But there's a lot of other people out there that are doctors, scientists, and you know we're going to be looking to have them on the program over the next few months so we can learn about this. And if the, if the virus passes and this is not a big deal, um, who cares? We'll be better informed about the immune system anyway. It's a good thing to know about. And you know, one of, one of the experts that I had spoken to in the past is Dr. Greg Fahey out of Stanford. And Stanford, or excuse me, what Greg told me was that you know, over 60, you're the body's ability to deal with novel pathogens is dramatically reduced. And it's because um, he's, his area of interest is the thymus. And what he said was, you know, your thymus is really, that's the central part of your immune system. Uh, it uh, is reduced in size and reduced in capacity. Um, so that, you know, these new diseases that come in at this age, it's tough for us to deal with them. And, you know, for, for me, the idea is, how can we keep living um, out there in the world? We don't want to be socially isolated. There's enough of that in the world anyway. And I actually see this as a way of the community coming together. This is, uh, this is sort of a crisis I think we've got um, on our doorsteps here. And it's a way for us to look out for other people. And you know, going forward with being out in the world, engaging in the world, but in a modified, as safe as possible way of doing that. And, you know, I mentioned a little bit about what I'm doing, and I'm, I'm just doing what the experts tell me to do. You know, one of the things about 
community is that, I don't think this is true of any community, under adverse circumstances, people tend to come together and they really pull for each other. And, you know, we've seen that in human history again and again and again. And I, and I think that, you know, with us here in our community, in the Aegis community, we have a lot of people that are under 50. We have um, some people that are under 30. But we, you know, we also have a good number of people that are over 60 and 70. And I, I think that looking out for everyone and, you know, how can we pull together here? How can we share what each of us are doing um, and keep track of people? If, they're, if someone's not well, um, how can we help? I'm not sure that, you know, if someone's in quarantine, if somebody is in isolation, how, how can we help? Can we, can we drop off some food at the door? Um, can we call them? Can we send people a text? Uh, you know, staying engaged. And I, I think this is, I'd like to look at this as an opportunity. Uh, I, I think that we need to be safe looking forward. But I also think this is not a time for us to crawl into our shells and just isolate. You know, the virus, viruses don't respect borders. They don't respect they don't respect really anything, except this one seems to respect age, um, unfortunately for us. Uh, but let's see what we can do to make this a positive experience. I'm going to be doing the best I can over the next few weeks, as long as this thing is going on, uh, to bring in the information that comes across my desk, what people are doing around the world, what things, if there's anything that we can learn. You know, unless you've really been tested positive for the virus or for some reason you're under quarantine, um, you know, get out of the house, uh, you know, but be safe about it, right? So you can go for a walk, you can go for a hike, you can go out swimming in a lake. There's just a ton of things you can do where your chances of being exposed to the virus are really small. Um, the tree is not going to give you the virus. Um, that's not going to be the problem. So, you know, what we don't want to have happen is people just um, isolating and, and watching television and gnashing their teeth about this. Uh, you know, and I, for myself, like, you know, yesterday I went out to the you know, my local art bookstore, which is down the street here, Hennessy and Engels, and I bought myself some magazines and a photo book. Um, you know, uh, be smart about it. Be careful about it. You know, I cleaned my hands after I was there, um, and, I, and I brought my stuff home. It's, you know, on the one hand, it's, it's really important that we, as I said, we don't isolate, but it's also important there are all these local businesses out there that are going to be really impacted by this. And I think that the... I'm certain the economic consequences of this outbreak are are going to be intense, and it's going to be hard on a lot of these businesses. And yeah, Amazon's great; they deliver stuff to your door. Um, you know, Jeff Bezos doesn't really isn't really hurting for my business; he's doing just fine. But a lot of these local businesses that were under some stress earlier are really going to be it's going to be hard for them. So, you know, be smart. Um, take your hand sanitizer. <laughs> <laughs> don't don't be hugging people, um, but go out there and, and support those local businesses. They're really going to need us. Thank you so much for listening today to the Ages podcast. It's been great having you with us. Um, if you enjoy the podcast, please tell a friend. Um, it'd be great to have more people here with us. It's always good to um, expand the reach. And please subscribe, um, which really helps us. And actually really helps us is leave a rating and a review and keep the comments coming um, just to address a couple of quick ones um, in our I think it was our third podcast talking with Kimberly Fowler about cryotherapy 
Cryotherapy is not full body vitrification turning us into a block of ice. No, it is actually a recovery method where you go into a very cold chamber for about two minutes, which helps muscle recovery. And to the very nice comment I received from a woman who thought that me and Chip would make a lovely couple, that's so nice that you think that, but I'm not really sure how my wife feels about that. Thanks so much to Seize Apart for that great music. We'll see you next week. And everybody, have a wonderful week out there. Have some fun. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube. You know when you're listening to a true crime story that has an unbelievable plot twist that makes you stop in your tracks? That's what our podcast, People Are the Worst, brings you with each episode. I'm Rachel. And I'm Rebecca. We're identical twins who love true crime cases that make you say, didn't see that coming, and we hate the people responsible for them. Listen to People Are the Worst now on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.